I'm Laura Ortiz, and I've decided that I'm one of the new hosts of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I'm also known as Benedict Cumberpatch. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Good evening, everybody. It's TalkCast 163. Tonight, we're talking all kinds of stuff, but we are going to talk about the new web series, upcoming web series, The Broken Continent, with our guest, producer, director, writer, and all-around bon vivant from The Broken Continent, Francis Abbey. Francis, hey. Hello. Ah, there we are. Okay. <laughs> Thought we lost you for a minute. We've got you back. Okay, ah, so okay, yeah, well, I don't know what I'm doing wrong because I can hear the feedback. There's feedback somewhere in the pavilion, on sub level 451 of the book burning pavilion, deep in area 51. I am the dome. Joining the talk cast tonight are many of the usual suspects in the Revere Time Vortex, Violent Soundboard Vixen, and Queen of Petroleum Byproducts, Kriana. Not much. How you doing? Benedict Cumberbatch. I know. From the stacks of her personal silence zone in the dank dungeon reading room, water sprite zombrarian. I, I know. I feel uncomfortable that Kriana is doing Benedict Cumberbatch and no one knew until just now. <laughs> and then we didn't react. None of us. From the four-color vault of comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, sitting in tonight for uh, the Scream Queen, it is Illustrator X. Hey! <clears throat> oh, oh, no, you used my name. Okay. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully uh, the dead redhead will be joining us uh, shortly. Momentarily, I'm sure. As my first wife said. Yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's going to be an interesting night. The second half of the show, we're going to be talking with Francis about The Broken Continent, which is an incredibly cool, cool web series uh, that we're going to talk about. And we have all kinds of links and all kinds of pictures and looks really, really interesting. But there's been a really good week in sci-fi. Uh, and we want to start Zombrarian. With well, the morning show. With the morning show. So, last week, I think, at some point, uh, there was an article on the blog io9, which is where I get most of my geeky news, that compared Data and Jordy to Troy and Abed. And right. this comparison has exploded so much so that they did a follow-up post uh, which included a bunch of really awesome fan art 
and a link to my new favorite Tumblr ever, <laughs> which is called Troy and Abed in Engineering. And it's amazing. They take community quotes and put them on pictures of Star Trek TNG. They take Star Trek TNG quotes and put them on pictures from community. And if you know both shows, even a little bit, it's all hilarious all the time. And they have absolutely nothing in common with each other, which makes it even better. Except that Troy and Abed and Data and Jordy are the same characters. Right. I mean, aside from that. <laughs> Basically, I mean. So check it out when you get a chance. We've got a bunch of, of, of visual uh, stuff this week, which is kind of odd to talk which about. Which makes tonight. you wonder why we bother since we're an audio podcast. I know, I know. And, and, and the one thing that uh, I have uh, that's totally visual is uh, 20 geeky Christmas cards and holiday greetings from our, our friends at Gamma Squad. <laughs> and there's, there's a whole lot of uh, Hoth and, and, and Star Wars and Star Trek stuff in there. Uh, you know, the one that I particularly love is the one with Queen Amidala and, and Yoda uh, on the ice planet. And Amidala is saying, what do you want for Christmas, Master Yoda? And his response is, pants. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought it was cute. In any case, that's my kind of visual thing happening on it right now. What? Oh, and and I also wanted to shout out to uh, the young lady who opened the show. Who was that again? Laura Ortiz. Oh, yes. Who is not Benedict Cumberpatch as much as she wants to be. Uh, however, in an interview this week... Hmm. Benedict Cumberpatch claims, I am not Khan, nor is he, according to the quote, he promises he is not Khan under an alias, which kind of kills what you were going for there, Zumbarian. Hmm. So, since Star Trek had no other villain characters whatsoever, then who could he possibly be? Hmm. Yeah, there just weren't enough good villains in any of the Star Trek incarnations, were there? I think he's going to be, uh, what is it, uh, Clint Howard's character, that little uh, four-year-old dwarf from the original I think series? He's cute. Yeah, is, there, <laughs> is there no love for Q? Is Q, Q is a pretty good villain, right? Uh, and yeah. the Borg. Yeah, yeah, and the Borg. and, and But yeah, Q the, is a next generation villain. Q and exists in so, all times and spaces. That's true. Oh, maybe it's a crossover. Oh. Well, look, I mean, J.J. Abrams has screwed the timeline so badly at this point that he can pretty much go anywhere and find a way to justify it. So and he would actually be... Uh, you mean badly rationalize. That's exactly what I mean by justify, yes. <laughs> oh, God. So he'll be QED. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. Work with me here. I didn't know I was going to be on. There's not a chance. Speaking of other stuff that I wish would go away, Wonder Great. Woman. Me too. <laughs> Wonder Woman's back one more time, guys. But why? As... Why now? Uh, well, here's the interesting part about it. The only reason CW is even attempting this is because Arrow is doing, quote, well by their standards. In other words, Wait, it didn't has... we talk about this last week? 
Here's the interesting difference that just came out this week. Oh, okay. Sorry. Three years ago, Whedon, the man, the Avengers, Joss, the man. Yeah, we didn't get who you meant the first time. Please keep explaining. Was uh, hired to write a script for NBC for Wonder Woman. It was rejected. The script was a fish-out-of-water Wonder Woman that everybody thought just wasn't going to work. Then came the Pilecki script that uh, was shot and never aired anywhere. Interestingly similar to the Pulaski character who didn't also really go anywhere. It was Star Trek humor. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> All of our jokes are really flat tonight, everybody. Really? I don't... No. <laughs> I really think I've I'm, I've had too much to drink on, already. Nobody like Dr. Pulaski. Nobody. And I'm starting to feel person. uncomfortable. <laughs> you should. Need an adult. Good. <laughs> like that's going to happen. In a new the new version, the one that the CW is working on right now, is essentially the exact same premise as the Whedon script from four years ago. Oh, if you're steal, steal from the Beef. best. It's the story of a young Amazon before she became the warrior princess or gains her superpowers. Oh. It's designed to be a prequel, so it's pretty much a woman's Smallville. version of Smallville. <laughs> so we can all just shoot ourselves now and forget uh. about it. X, you'll be so happy. Except for that one person who liked Smallville. Oh my god. You know how they sold this pilot? Three words. Star-spangled ass. <laughs> Except that's, for no, because it's, it's before be. that, so that doesn't actually work. Isn't that how yeah. you sell most Wonder Woman anything? Well, that people and... people who don't are, know and understand There are, many, there are many sweaty, lonely men with furtive glances that would disagree, but I, I digress. Yeah, well, you know, since Wonder Woman was basically always the Betty Page of comics... Uh, yeah, until until we got Slave Leia and Jedi. Yeah, right, right. For many years, she was it. Yeah, but I mean, this this whole prequel bullshit has got to stop at some point. And it no, serves no purpose. It doesn't give you a story. It doesn't do anything. And I mean, you know, why would they do this now when Whedon had the script four years ago? Because Whedon's hot and they can't afford him, so they may as well steal his stuff and, and make a Buffy ripoff. Wow. Not yeah. even. Buffy had superpowers. Yes, but if we're doing a prequel series, Buffy at least... Well, I mean, Wonder Woman's going to have the superpowers, but, I mean, Buffy was an arc where throughout the series she learned more and more and more. She kept gaining experience and knowledge. Right. It's like right. a really good D&D game. Right. <laughs> That's one way of putting it, sure. Yeah. I'm just uh, so there you know, whether or not they'll be able to actually have something that you can not want to claw your eyes out at. Well, that's not gonna happen, unfortunately. Well, we'll I mean see. there will be there will be a certain segment of the population that will enjoy this and most normal human beings will not. I just don't understand it. Fringe has got three episodes left, two episodes left. Thank God. Oh, and and oh, the last four minutes of last week's episode were just jaw-droppingly cool. I mean, not not that this entire season hasn't been one of the most interesting things Fringe has ever done, but the last four minutes of last week's episode 
when you got a glimpse of the Emerald City was amazing. Wait, wait, oh, whoa, uh, like Oz? Like style. Oz, yes, absolutely. And it was just a quick cutaway, and you just kind of went, what? Well, they're playing <laughs> into a soon-to-be f- feature film now, aren't they? I wonder who <laughs> paid who for that. I don't know. But I, I'll tell you that you, you sat there and it, it was just a, a nice emotional arc up to it. And just when you were ready to go, okay, we're done, we're fine, everything's cool, the whole thing just went, whoa, hold on. And it was kind of amazing. With yeah. But now here's the thing. Now, did they rip that off? Now, were they, was that like a promo for Sam Raimi's movie? Or were I they ripping it. off? Or were they ripping off Stephen King from the Dark Tower series, where his characters were on some sort of quest and they actually came to Oz and they were like, "Oh my God!" It was almost exactly the same yeah. shot. It kind of has that feel to it, though, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And then the the gunslinger himself is like, "What? It's a green city," and everyone else is like, "No, you don't understand." <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, you know, I've got to tell you, it's it's kind of. The talk around people who are really sad that uh, Fringe is going. Both of them. All nine of them, and at hey, least in my hey, office. Hey. <laughs> but quite frankly, uh, like I said, that last four minutes, which is usually in every episode, that kind of okay, we've been there, we're coming down, and we can assess what's gone on in this episode. They just kind of threw that in your face and went to black and it was cool it was really really well done I, so Kriana hmm. what I'm sorry somebody was going to say something there I was just saying I really hope that the uh, series finale is worthy of the show me too it won't be you'll be disappointed crying <laughs> <laughs> in your coffee uh, you Kriana ever the optimist in, in cheerleader fashion thank you <laughs> Go ahead, Griana, you're up. I'm sorry, was there something specific you wanted to talk about? I don't know, you've got a couple of things in there where you want to go. How about an alpaca cosplaying as the TARDIS? <laughs> I don't know, how about it? Well, the what? is delightfully soft. <laughs> I don't know why you address an alpaca up as the TARDIS, but I commend you. Okay, gentlemen, for doing that. I can explain. As I'd love form- to hear this one. As a former 4-H member, which I will admit because it's way cooler than Girl Scouts. No, it's not. So, nah. It's not cool. Neither of those things are cool. Shut up. Um, <laughs> there's only so many activities in a small town. <laughs> yeah, the only people when- who do 4-H are the people who aren't smart enough to do anything else. Him. Him. When you're showing animals, there's often a for fun category. Um, you can't really see that, the alpaca under that TARDIS. That in, well, no, you're not because sh- you're not actually. It's basically your how the person and the alpaca move together in the ring. It's supposed to develop those skills hmm. that you have for like driving an animal around the ring. And so it's a cost. It's usually a costume contest. And nine times out of ten, you've got, you know, like, a fireman and the alpaca and or sheep is dressed up as a Dalmatian and stuff like this. So this kid is actually pretty cool. 
Because he chose Doctor Who He's for his coffee teaching useful skills for your everyday life. Even more useful than math. I want to know. Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know, because I think the kid has kind of got the Doctor Who look down. No, the kid is cool, but I'm just saying, like, driving an alpaca around a ring. I can't tell you how many times I've had to do that. Do you raise alpacas? You, you've made you've made her point. See, I'm so happy you've done that, too. Congratulations. I know. Thank you for making her point. I wish I'd point. had that training as a child. <laughs> Clearly, my parents were deficient. Clearly, they were. Obviously. I mean, I showed guinea pigs, so I never had to enter a ring, but... <laughs> you showed guinea pigs. I did. I got a blue What would you show them as? Anyway, what would you dress them up as? Did you dress Why would you, did you eat dress them? Up? No, you don't dress up guinea pigs. It distresses them. Uh, <laughs> and then they go squeak, squeak, squeak. Yeah. All the way home. <laughs> anyway, moving away from my childhood in 4-H. Please. Oh, God, uh, please. Dork. It's not an alpaca. The chameleon circuit was fixed. <laughs> I never had to dress up my chameleon. He died in a bottle, but that's a whole other story. Wow, that's well, does nice. he just really look like the commute this the bottle now? Absolutely uh -huh. does, yes. Okay. Moving away from how my pet died stories. <laughs> please. Let's talk about I don't know, a thing. Go ahead. Where do Let's you talk go? about about yeah. Jim C. Hines and John Scalzi, because that was fun. Okay. Go ahead. I think Kriana should do it because it's her story. What? We talked about Jim Hines before and how he dresses up and and tries to imitate the poses of women on various book covers without fracturing his spine and fails generally <laughs> um, a bit. I don't know. He gets kind of close. He gets mad props for he, getting that close. Although I will have to say that he does not have a set of boobs to contend with because I kind of think some of those poses would be madly complicated by breasts. He does wear a pair of denim short shorts while he, he does. does. He does. Anyway, so he, he did. Yes, challenged he did. John Scalzi to pose as a sexy female assassin to raise money for, I'm going to say this wrong, the Icardi Syndrome Foundation. I have no clue what that foundation is, but um, awesome. Basically. And if you click into the picture from... It's going to be on our blog post. Whoa! He, he's posing <laughs> with a crossbow. He is. Yes, he is. Although Scalzi one-upped him by going for the blonde wig. I thought oh, so. <laughs> yeah. And Scalzi, this is a, a formal invitation. You've been invited on before. Uh, we're formally inviting you again. So, uh, you know, get, get over here. We'd really like to uh, have you on the show to talk about... Why this, you would this do that. pose among other things? Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to figure uh, out what this syndrome is. It's a it, rare disorder that's inherited. I'm glad it's rare. In which the corpus callosum is partly or completely missing. Wow, that's interesting. Okay. That's the that's the part that connects the two sides of your brain. Whoa. Right. Yeah, sounds kind of serious. Yeah. Although their website looks like it was made in like 1992. So they probably need the money. <laughs> like seriously, really, really, like someone needs to redo their logo for them. Like, come on, guys. So here's two guys that don't need money. 
Uh, what do Harlan Ellison and Paul Chadwick have in common? Dome's name dropping again? No. Uh, Harlan Ellison did an intro for one of the Concrete Collected series by Paul Chadwick. I know that. Okay. How about the two of them are making a comic book together? It's called Seven Against Chaos. <sighs> How oh. cool is that to people who know who those two people are? Oh. Pretty cool. I'll pass. The reality is, and according to the article, uh, we have absolutely no idea how these two guys came together. We're assuming it involves enormous dump trucks full of money, considering neither Ellison nor Chadwick come cheap, and for excellent reasons. And we don't care. Oh, basically, this is pity. Basically, Seven Against Chaos, in a distant future, Earth is in grave danger. What a shock. <laughs> the fabric of reality... That never happens. No, I know, especially in an Ellison novel. Natural disasters displace souls from bygone eras and sudden shocking cases of spontaneous combustion. Uh, the only hope for Earth's survival is a fourth of seven warriors, each with special abilities. Written by Harlan Ellison and Paul Chadwick as one of the best artists around. And whoever wrote Captain Planet. Because <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a lot like Sarah. Captain Planet to me. Actually, it's a takeoff of the Seven Samurai. Or, oh. as we may have known it in this country, the Magnificent Seven. Or the Marlboro theme music movie. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, cigarettes haven't been allowed to be advertised on TV in how many years? Like 20? Okay. Maybe. Just it's coming out as a pulp novel. Uh, and uh, it will be available summer of 2013 and sounds absolutely delightful. Wow. Ooh. Okay. Some, some of the test artwork for it uh, that you'll see if you uh, go to the link but that we're going to put up. I can't see right now, so we're going to put up the link. When you see it, it's kind of amazing. It reminds me of, it reminds me of, of really good Colleen Duran artwork, if you follow her stuff, mm -hmm. or um, Phil, um, oh my god, he did Otherworld, Phil Jimenez. You know that guy? Yeah, no, that I guy. That. Yeah. You see him at the lunchroom every day, Sorry. Phil Jimenez. So, who's, who's, who's excited about uh, the Doctor Who Christmas special? No, comes out Christmas Eve yeah. on BBC and BBC America. It's the first time I believe that they're going to air on both networks on the same uh, the same day. Oh, actually, I I read about that Zombarian. You were wrong. It's not the girl from the Dalek episode. It's a different girl. They just kind of look no, the same. No, it's not. Her name is different. It's the same actress. Are you sure? Yes. IMDb that shit. You, you do it. You're the one who doesn't believe me. I am secure in my facts. How much do you want to bet? Okay, it's it's a drink. The I'll person bet you an alpaca. An alpaca dressed as a Dalek. That would be difficult. I know. I'm, I'm an alpaca dressed as Captain Jack. But I mean, the good news is that the snowman, which is 
the Christmas episode will air in the United States the same day that it airs in London. The bad news is the second half of season seven will not return until April. Right. Hmm. But that, the other good news is movie. Matt Smith gets a new hat in this episode. Awesome. <laughs> he does indeed. Yeah, some of the uh, some of the stills from this are kind of amazing. I as read well an interview with him. He said the thing he was most excited about for the episode was that he got a new hat. I have also heard that apparently whenever the writers introduce a new hat onto the show, they have to deliberately write it out or he won't get rid of it because he loves them so much. <laughs> this is true. This is cool. And Fezzes are cool, too. Fezzes oh, are you're right. It is the same girl. They just call oh! by her last name. All right, I owe you an alpaca dressed like Captain Jack. You'll get that someday. I'm excited. I liked her. Who wins? Sombrian wins. This is well, my winning song. They call her something song. different. They call her Clara now. Oswin was yes, so much cooler. A different person. No, she's not. Her character in Asylum of the Daleks was Oswin. Right. And she, her name a, in the rest of the series is Clara Oswin. She said so it that is the same It person. is the same girl. And the same name. Yes. Did you read the article you're looking at? It's <laughs> Oh, kids, kids, kids. Bringing us to the halfway point of this drunken argument of ours, in which case normally the dead redhead would talk about her poll, so we will now have for the next two or three minutes Illustrator X pretending to be the dead redhead. Oh, oh dear God. pandemonium will reign. Well, either that or a really bad Matthew Python sketch, one or the other. So take it away, Illustrator Rex. Well, thank you very much. Okay, this week's poll, we asked the, the burning question that's on everybody's mind this time of year. Who is your favorite princess of outer space? Now, we had to discard a lot of entries because, let's face it, we're not talking about a queen of outer space. We're talking about a princess. So everyone who wrote Jaja Gabor th or Amidala, thank you. You're wrong. Uh, for third place... <laughs> no right answer in the poll, Max. Wow. Whatever. Just saying. Uh, for third place, we had a four-way tie. Thank you. Uh, that being... Uh, Princess Ardala from Buck Rogers, for those hey, listeners with, odd, with a long memory there. You mean old people. An odd choice. Uh, uh, unless you've seen the movie Ted, in which case, it was just a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. Oh, really? I have not oh, seen Oh, yeah, that well, yeah, well, this, never mind. <laughs> I'm sure it's integral to the plot, so please, please, save Absolutely. it. <laughs> uh, there was the character of Princess from Battle of the Planets, a.k.a. Gotcha Man. Right. Uh, there is Star Gordon from some author named Robert Heinlein's book, uh, Glory Road. No one's read that. And there was our very own Kriana the Anime Princess. Yes. Mm. She yes, herself, she. She. No, I didn't. Wait, I was really in there. Are you joking? I am no, not, joking. not joking. You came in third. <laughs> you came in third. <laughs> I'm not in outer space. You are. You are. Uh, you obviously are. <laughs> okay. Oh, you. As far as we're concerned, you always were. 
So you are right up there with a Heinlein character, a Buck Rogers character, and an anime princess from Battle of the Planets. Um, What's she going to now, do? Now, the people who beat you here. Number two, Deja Thoris. The princess from the John Mars. Carter of Mars series. Yes. No clue and then, by a landslide, solid winner, Princess Leia Organa. I think that's who I actually voted for. Somebody must have added me after I voted, because I did vote. <laughs> Someone did. Mm-hmm. A couple of people did, because, hey, you got the votes. I guess so. Uh, I do want to point out there were zero votes for Princess Vespa of Spaceballs, because nobody loves a Druish princess. And the joke falls flat, just like it did in the movie. At least she doesn't look Jewish, anyway. That was so much funnier than what he said. It was the other joke in the movie. I I know, because it still wasn't funny. Now, anything after History of the World Part 1 is suspect. Except for History of the World Part 2, which was a much funnier film. Which never existed! Really? You didn't didn't see it? Because I saw it. Well, we all saw it. You're the only one who didn't. We had that movie night, X. Remember, we invited you. You got really drunk. <laughs> Cities will crumble in my wrath. I'm glad something's crumbling. Congratulations. I'll bet we have a guest on. Do we? We yes. could. Oh. <laughs> Look at us. We have a guest. We have the creator, showrunner, and executive producer of the Broken Continent. We were having that discussion I think, before you came on. Is it Broken Continent? Is it The Broken Continent? No, clearly um, it is the. It, well, yeah. Sure, it, it is. <laughs> Although our Twitter handle is Broken Continent. You know, you can drop those definite articles whenever it's convenient. So, but, um, it's, it's Francis. Francis, welcome. <laughs> thank you very much. I'm, so I'm very pleased to be here. Well, thanks. We're really, really happy to uh, have you with us tonight. Uh, I checked out your stuff on Kickstarter, and I checked out the webpage. Yeah. And damn, this looks cool. Well, Let's thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, you so, know, I'm... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was, uh, you know, it's... Uh, we're, we're an indie filmmaking outfit, so, I mean, we're doing the best we can for on a micro budget. Um, but we did feel that we could do something pretty cool, and I'm very glad that you uh, you like what you saw. Well... You know, you've had two Kickstarter uh, funding runs now. The first one got funded completely. Correct. Yes. In fact, yeah, we overshot by a little bit, which was great. And the second one is your post-production promotion budget. That is correct. Yes. Over, oh, how much money is it? 10000 Yes, that is right. Yeah, we're that is our second campaign because um, the thing that... Uh, people and thank you to all of our contributors up to this point. Um, but what they might not realize is that that figure that you end up with, that you see there on Kickstarter and, and everybody's cheering about, is actually not what you end up getting because um, Kickstarter deducts a percentage, and then Amazon, who handles the payments to uh, to Kickstarter, they deduct a percentage, and then after that, you have to fulfill all of your perks costs. So your your number comes down quite a bit, and. Um, and when we went into this, I mean, there were a lot of 
unexpected expenditures when we kind of started everything and you said, oh, well, we're going to need that and we're going to need this. And we said, well, we got to do it. So by the time we got to the end of production, then um, we said, all right, we'll, we'll do another Kickstarter. And that's, so that's how we got into this point. Cool. Um, so you're, have you started actually shooting? Have you started production yet? Yes, yes, indeed we have. In fact, um, there is a trailer that is, uh, that is up now, and um, uh, it will be posted shortly on BrokenContinent.com. And, um, or you can go to our uh, Facebook page, Broken Continent, over on Facebook, and, um, and you can see it there. And uh, So we have shot it. We have, uh, we've wrapped on principal photography. So now, um, uh, as, as you were saying, the, it's the visual effects that we're uh, trying to complete now, getting it scored. And then uh, we'd love to take it to some, some different cons, um, which we think is, is probably going to be the best place to really connect with an audience and, uh, and get people to find out about it. So what happens when you bring it to, to a convention, seeing as we have very, very close ties to a couple of conventions up here in the Northeast? How does that work for you guys? You know, that's actually my um, Kelly Slagle, who is one of my co-producers, is much more familiar with cons than I am. And she... Um, was the one who said, yeah, that we definitely need to take it there. Um, and I've seen some other um, fantasy web series. Uh, for example, one is uh, called Legendary. And uh, Legendary actually made the rounds, and uh, the creator, Jay Lee, got to sit with George R. R. Martin on a panel. And I thought, man, that guy, I need that guy's uh, publicist. I think he does his own stuff. He's yeah, his no own kidding, huh? publicist. But I was <laughs> like, geez, I would love to do that. And um, but, uh, uh, but, you know, you get out there, you... Just talk to people. You're able to answer questions and uh, and just basically meet fans and, and build the fan base that way. Uh, ultimately, our goal, we would love to find um, someone to back this, uh, a like a company, like Sci-Fi Channel would be incredible, something like that, um, and then to create either um, continue the web series or to do it as a uh, maybe a series of feature films or something like that. But essentially, we want to continue the story and find somebody to pay for that so we don't have to, to keep uh, begging people for money on Kickstarter. Um, right. Although, it, I mean, it, it was uh, a great experience to be able to do that the first time. But, you know, you can, you can only go to that well so many times. Yeah, here opening the door the Four Color Vault of Comics. Joining us now is the Dead Redhead. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Sorry, Welcome, my, We've missed my, you. my non um, my non sci fi Saturday night job has a tendency to pull me away and make me do things well, that's naughty okay, things. When you, when you listen back to the playback of this show, you'll hear somebody doing just an absolutely horrific uh, impression of you. Yeah, everybody does pretty bad impressions of me. So. <laughs> <laughs> really? Because I, I I think they're spot on. <laughs> oh, thanks, Zombrarian. Thank wow. you. So I apologize, but oh, uh, nobody, well, we're glad you nobody died and everybody's safe, and that's all that matters. That's all that matters, absolutely. Anyhow, back to what we were talking about. <laughs> Just want to let the world know she's actually joined us. Um, so, talk to us about the story of the sure. broken continent. Yes, okay, so the, the broken continent of the title is a land called Illyrion. And once upon a time, there was a king who had become so powerful with magic that he declared himself to be a god. And then the god, um, uh, who was actually god, didn't take too kindly to it. So he broke the continent into five pieces, and that's where we get that. So um, where, where we pick up the story 
is some 3,000 years later. And now you have an ambitious young king named Edwin, Edwin Redway who is seeking to conquer the other four shards of, of Illyrian. He is the king of the heart, which is the largest shard. And um, so he's basically got his mind set on conquest. And uh, however, people in his own land aren't all on board with this idea. And so he has to put down some, uh, some rebellious folks in his own backyard. And what, what ends up happening is when that kind of stuff happens, a lot of uh, um, people are, are not happy and you have a lot of refugees running and seeking shelter. So the women of the wood are this mythical group of women who are kind of like a warrior band of nuns. That's how I've described them. And uh, they occupy a forest called Ironleaf Forest within the heart. And so the legend is that they will provide refuge for the, uh, the orphans and the widows of war. So that's what happens is they start retreating to the Ironleaf Forest. But the women who really do exist say that, hey, we're going to get overrun here in a little bit if we don't do something. So they are then trying to find a way where they can stop Edwin's campaign. And, uh, but they can't hope to face his armies themselves because they don't have the, the numbers to try and do it. So they have to find some other way to stop him. So that's, that's basically the pilot episode that we've, uh, that we've shot and uh, are now in post-production on. Okay, and the pilot... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you a question because... Uh, and I, I looked at what you had, um, your uh, preview that you had, and... Doing fantasy can be pretty, um, I'm thinking costumes and weaponry and that sort of thing. That can be pretty um, extensive, you know, trying to make this all. What made you start with a genre like that as opposed to something easier, say, a horror or something of that nature? Well, you know, I, I have, um, I've, th- I've done two feature films. Both were comedies. And I've, I've done a lot of short films, all kind of contemporary stuff. And I've been a, a fantasy fan uh, for uh, a, a, a I, I won't, I'm not a, I'm not a huge reader. I'm trying to change that now. But um, my brother <laughs> was a huge reader of fantasy books. And he had told me about um, A Song of Ice and Fire before Game of Thrones came on HBO. And then when it finally did, he was very excited about it. And I started watching it. And then I was instantly hooked on it. And then I read, I burned through the books. And that was unprecedented for me, like reading all five uh current volumes of A Song of Ice and Fire and, and watching the show and then reading the books, I kind of said, hey, look, you can do fantasy without having goblins and dwarves and elves and everything like that, okay. the kind of traditional idea of fantasy. So, And then there was a particular actress, uh, Bette Cassatt, who is, you'll see her in the trailer and everything like that, and she has had extensive stage combat experience. So I was working with her on the set of a film. Um, a friend of ours was doing a film and, and I bumped into her on set and I'd worked with her once before and I'd seen her do a, uh, a four-person stage production of The Three Musketeers. And so I've oh. seen her do all of her, her sword fighting and everything and I said, you know, I'd really love to do some kind of action thing with, with some sword fighting. That would be great. So I talked to her about this and then, you know, I, I was at the time reading uh, a Song of Ice and Fire. And, and then I said, you know what? It could be a fantasy. We could do a fantasy thing. And then all of the ideas grew from that idea that I was just going to do something with Bet that involved swords. And then suddenly it became a fantasy epic. And, um, but it resonated with people. Uh, Kelly Slagle, who I mentioned, my co-producer, Bjorn Munson, my other co-producer, you know, the, the idea resonated with them too. And, um, and, and that's part of why our first Kickstarter was so successful. It's because people love this kind of stuff. And not, not everybody's out there doing it. You know, I could have done like horror stuff and, um, uh, it, you know, like uh, obviously the zombie thing is like people have done a lot of zombie stuff. People have done a lot of vampire stuff. Not everybody goes after the fantasy, like you said, because it's so sure. 
uh, kind of intimidating. And especially where I live, I live uh, just outside of uh, Washington, D.C., and it's a, it's a fairly urban area. But, you know, you, you go 20, 30 miles outside of the city and you can find some really great places that will work as a fantasy setting. Now, granted, we don't have like castles and stuff, but um, oh, we were able to find, yeah, um, th- that's coming. We, you know, when we get the budget to go to Europe and we can, uh, you know, shoot in Romania or something, but, um, but, you know, in, in the meantime, that, that's, that was the other thing. That's why like uh, as a, an indie filmmaker, I have written to uh, around my limitations in terms of like, what, what can I get? What can I put in the movie? So I know that, like, in this case, I said, well, it's like, we have forests. <laughs> so I said, you know, I wrote in a forest. And then I created the uh, the women of the wood basically were a result of, well, I have a forest, you know, so we can write them in because that will work as a fantasy, as a medieval fantasy setting. So, um, uh, and and that's basically how it was. And then with the costuming, it was a combination of we had a costume designer named uh, Elizabeth Reeves who did a phenomenal job. We got some stuff from Museum Replicas um, and and some other vendors online to to supplement things. And then uh, we we hit up thrift stores and found a lot of stuff that we were able to alter or um, and, and and more so for for women's clothing. It's it's kind of funny because if you try to buy medieval clothing for women. You have like two options when you when you shop online. There's like you know like the busty wench, and then you know like the less busty wench. Those are like your two. Those That's are the two it. Those are your get. only two options. Yeah, right. I was pretty much. Say if you go to some of the rent fairs, you'd probably be able to find somebody who would who would make your costumes they, for you at a fairly yeah, they, decent. <laughs> Well, you, yeah, you certainly don't go to the Renaissance Festival and find reasonably priced items there. That's <laughs> they might right. be able; they may that's be able right. to make them. And we did. We certainly we talked to a number of folks, and and that's something that we we hope to do more of. You know, if we're able to continue, we would love to do that and, and develop a relationship with some of those folks. Um, and we did get some craftspeople making different things for the show. Um, but uh, but you know that was but doing the thrift store shopping was was really interesting because a lot of women's clothes you can find things that will be passable for Mm -hmm. for what we're doing and then you just have to distress them a little bit men's clothing doesn't work at all because you have button-down shirts and all these other and like the collars and the t-shirts they just don't work but um so it was it was sort of funny (laughs) that's right so so the women's the modern women's clothing we found a lot that we were able to use whereas men's clothing we either had to buy or uh or just completely make from scratch um, but yeah, but it was a it was a great experience, and the costumes are you know something we're very proud of. I think uh, Elizabeth did a phenomenal job, and Kelly also uh, did a, an amazing job pulling all of that together. Um, and uh, but yeah, that was you know th- those were that was one of our things. It's like we can't have crummy costumes. You know, our costumes mm. have to be good. They have to look lived in, and um, you know that was so we uh, set a lot of rules for ourselves, and then um, also. Finding appropriate footwear was a challenge, and we again hit up a lot of thrift stores and said, "Like, what what kind of boots can we get away with here?" It's like, and like, what do we not show on camera for longer than three seconds? And and uh, so, yeah. But it it was it was a lot of work, and looking back on it now, it was a lot of fun. At the time, maybe not so much fun, but uh, <laughs> but but looking back on it now, we're happy with the result. So um, so we can be we can say it was a good time now. Excellent. It's uh, it's interesting because we've uh, had a lot of contact with independent films or or independent web series. How long is this first episode uh, planning to be? The, the script we actually had a, a I had a thirty page script initially, 
for a pilot um, episode or episodes. We would just divide it up depending on the, uh, you know, where we were going to ultimately show it if we divide it up into like six minute episodes or something. But um, because of our, our fundraiser, we said, we said, okay, if we're able to raise this much money, we'll do the 30 page script. However, if we can't hit that much, then we'll do half of the script. And that's what we ended up doing. I think we would have needed to raise on Kickstarter maybe in the neighborhood of like $80,000 perhaps to try the whole thing. So um, since we were, we, our final number was more in the 42000 area, and I like that it was forty two for all of the uh, Douglas Adams fans. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Nice. We had to um, – we, we cut, I cut it in half basically. I cut the script in half and like wrote, wrote a, an ending that would tie at least – or like have like a, a good cliffhanger at, at uh, 15 pages or 16 pages. And um, so ordinarily that translates to uh, a minute of screen time, but with, with all of the action that takes place in it, it's probably around 20 – 16 – you know, like 17 to 20 total minutes of material. And then we'll divide that up as we, as it, uh, maybe into like two or three episodes. And, um, and that will basically serve as kind of our, our pilot. And then we'll, we'll take that. And then, um, as I said, we'll, we'd like to take it to cons and then also take it to, um, uh, some people like you would try to get like sci-fi for example is one obviously it's the most obvious <laughs> choice that we would bring something to and say, Hey, you know, it's like, uh, would you like to continue with this project as a web series or maybe we can do it as some movies? I, I really like it. We were talking, uh, Dick Cumberbatch was being mentioned earlier and I really like how the, the British, uh, Sherlock, the new Sherlock is right. like three, three 90 minute movies. That's a season. And oh, I really like, so leaves you wanting more. You just really, really want more. <laughs> right. So, I mean, so, you know, it's four and a half total hours per, per season. So you can tell a really good story, but as you said, it really leaves you wanting more too. Which is a good thing. Yes. And, it, right. and, it, and it breaks out of the uh, 16 weeks or, or 12 weeks or, or six weeks in a renewal or, or God forbid four weeks and we dump you, whatever. Wow. <laughs> so, your original premise through this first Kickstarter round was to shoot a thirty-minute pilot. At this point, I, well, that was um, that was our pie in the sky. Uh, okay, into, you have to kind of temper everything because uh, because as uh, Dead Redhead was saying, you know, it's it's there's so much money that goes into this because of costumes, because of you know right. we, we have. We had a very good crew, and and um, and you know we didn't have enough money essentially because now we have to raise money to do the post production aspects. So it it is pretty cost intensive. I mean, the amount of money that we are looking to spend on this is as much as I spent on my second feature film. So that that was like a full length film, but you know, set in a contemporary setting. Right. It's going to cost that much to do sixteen minutes worth of like uh, of screen time. So yeah, there's just so much more. Um, uh, money involved and that's why yeah as we you know it was easy to write it's always easy to write that stuff and then uh that's one of the classic uh, screenwriting things it's like and atlanta burned you write in the screenplay and then it's like <laughs> to, uh, to 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 put that on the screen so that's you know i i'm sitting there and i'm just you know tapping away and then saying oh, okay let's let's just cut off the last 15 pages and we'll we'll work with this so um, what are you uh, using to shoot francis we shot on the Panasonic AF100, which is uh, digital video, high definition. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, the 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 camera that everybody's using out there, it would have been great to use it on this, but I, I'm I'm happy with the results that we got. And but 
this is something we can aspire to. The Area Alexa is what everybody's using out there. Avengers was shot on the Area Alexa. Game of Thrones is shot on the Area Alexa. A lot of things are being shot on that camera. And um, and we would definitely want that. The Hobbit is uh, was shot on uh, the red camera. I, and I forget which one, which model now. But I think it's the red Epic. And um, but those are the those are the real sexy movie cameras that, that people are shooting yes. on right now. Yes. Yeah. No, but I mean your pilot looked good. That's why I, I wondered what you were using. Oh yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, and it's yeah, I'll tell you that it's come such a long way in in a very short amount of time. And I mean, film cameras are, and I I lament the fact that film cameras are are so little used now because uh, I do think using film at least for archival for shooting it should stick around and then definitely for archival purposes but but the leaps and bounds that they've made with video has really been like an equalizer because a few years ago I don't think we could have shot something that looks as good as what we did uh, for the same amount of money by any means and um, it's uh, having the ability to use these great lenses is is one of the big yes. things because before when you bought those consumer cameras it was a fixed lens and you didn't have any real control over the image and um, now you get you get so much more control jack foley was our dp's got uh, a very experienced guy and a very serious cinematographer and and uh really studies his craft so we were very fortunate to be working with him and uh um so that's why we were able to get such uh, such great images so after your original backers from your first Kickstarter project, after they have been paid their bounty, right, doing what they've done, <laughs> and and everybody else has paid off, and you now have this fifteen minute program. Is it going to also become available at that point uh, on the net for people to look at? Yes, you know we we're we're talking now. It's it's uh, that is our intention now is to make it available online. We did the project with a SAG New Media agreement, um, so we were able to use SAG actors, um, and so we had a combination of union and non-union actors, which that particular New Media agreement allows, uh, which is important because most indie things that are done non-union and you don't you aren't you aren't able to have those actors work on your films. And uh, because we were, we wanted the largest possible pool of actors, and we were able to use this new media agreement, which then permitted us to bring on uh, both actors. But the, the 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 caveat is that we now have certain restrictions in what we do with it. We can't just like put it anywhere we want. We can't just you know say, oh, you know, pay us a dollar and you can watch it or something like that. All of that stuff is now regulated by that contract. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so, but that is our plan. Our intention is to put it on the, on the web. It, it, at least this first uh, fifteen minutes or so that we've made, we want to put that and make that available for everybody and really uh, spread it around as much as we can, so that that way we can kind of create a groundswell, and um, and hopefully that will carry us to getting backing to then continue the story. So your timeline now is principal sh- shooting is done. That's you right. are, you're editing, you're looking for venues, uh, you're trying to raise more money for post-production and promotion. As that comes together, you'll be going to cons over this, this next con season in the spring and summer, uh, hoping to get a groundswell of support for moving forward with this project. That's right. Yeah, that's that's the that is the game plan essentially. 
So, um, so what what are you doing now? <laughs> I mean, you did the writing. You you you're the principal producer. Now you're just sitting around biting your fingernails. Well, I'm I'm still working on it because um, uh, Kelly Slagle, uh, my co-producer, is also our editor. So I'm working with her as she's editing. I give feedback, and uh, as I said, our trailer is now up. And in, in fact, while we were in the middle of the broadcast here, she sent me a text saying that the new color corrected version is uh, is available online. So um, uh, everybody should check that out. And as I said, you can go to our Facebook page. Please like us. And then you can see also breaking the news, breaking yeah. news once again here on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and you'll you can, make sure that we have that link so that we can send them directly to it so that they can see that. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, I will pass that along. And um, uh, But you know, on top of that, it's also I, I am now thinking in terms of what is the story beyond this point. You know, I had I had a 30-page script, but now I have to think if we're going to pitch uh, a, a three-movie, as, as I was saying, like the Sherlock model, which is like three 90-minute movies, I have to think what, what are the storylines for those three 90-minute movies and, uh, and then be able to pitch that. Because um, you know, having the, if you have the thing that impresses them, that's fine. But it's then it's like where do you go from there? You have to right. be ready with the, where everything's headed, and you have to tell them about the world and the characters and the storyline and all of that stuff. So that's so preparing the pitch, at least in, in terms of, of, of what my preparations are now, that's what I'm working on. Is so I have to get ready to be able to do that. And and as I said, we're also we're choosing, you know, which which cons do we want to go to, which uh, festivals. There's a couple of festivals out there for web series, not a lot. And you know, um, we want to be very uh, specific in the ones that we go to. We want an industry presence there. We don't want to. You know, go somewhere where it's just going to be, um, where it's not going to be seen by the right folks. So that's why we there's, have to be about that. There's this wonderful, wonderful uh, festival in Boston every year called Boston Comic Con. <laughs> just saying. Okay. We're the official podcast for Boston Comic Con. Hint, hint, hint. Say it one more time. The official podcast. We are the official podcast of Boston Comic Con. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got it all out of your system. Good job. Oh, no, no, totally not out of my system yet. Are you sure? Yeah, positive. Well, not to uh, to express an East Coast bias, but it's good for me because I can drive to East Coast cities. So there we go. <laughs> it saves me an airfare. So, um, so I'd be happy to come. Uh, we'd be very happy to bring it to the uh, Boston Comic Con. So, um, mm. but it, it is a different. You know, it's 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 interesting because festivals are based on they're, they're merit based. It's selection based. Um, whereas a lot of the cons, it, you pay a, a an exhibitor fee. So it's it's a different approach to the two things, you know. Whereas like the festival, it's like you, you, you bite your fingernails and you keep your fingers crossed that they're going to select your uh, your project for inclusion. Um, whereas the cons, you're you're going to pay some more money, but you're going to be there. So right. that's so that's a very nice thing about that, and and you're going to connect with um, uh, thousands of fans, fans. yeah, mm-hmm. thousands of fans, yeah. And Boston is is one of the premieres on the East Coast. So, you know, something to think about. Anyway. Yeah. Made, made a note. <laughs> Francis, it's been a pleasure. I, I, this this project looks absolutely gorgeous. And, Thank you uh, so much. We'll be looking forward to hearing a lot more about it as time goes on. Zombrariot. Hi. Um, Hi. I lost the calendar. But it's coming. And <laughs> Nice. Stall, everybody. Stall. is coming. And it's right here. And next week, on December 22nd, Miriam Poultro 
from the web series Mythos will be joining us because apparently it's web series month here on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. And no Sounds one's like it's okay. Me, yeah. The week after that, December 29th, spend some time with your family or something because we're not going to be there because we're going to still be recovering from Christmas and preparing for a rockin' New Year's Eve with Dick Clark or someone. Whoever they have he's, doing oh, it. Oh, he's a zombie now, right? I was going to say, yeah. isn't he dead? <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> they have a CG-generated one. <laughs> yes, there we go. That's not creepy. That's not as there creepy as that zombie movie. Uh, anyway, after that, on January 5th, we're back with Mike Lane from the Liftport Project. Oh, cool. And then on December... January 12th, we're going to see Christy Peterson scoot over, friend of the show, author of Bad Apple and Skeletons in the Swimming Hole, and who knows what we'll talk to her about. Probably something creepy. Okay, can I just say for a second, I I kind of forgot what her book was called and thought you were going to say she's so badass, because she is, but... Yes, she is. We're gonna talk about Poe because we always talk. About and I mean, Poe. we already talked about crab apples. So. We did, we did. So it's bad crab apples. Dead redhead. Who are our sponsors? Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic Con, Granite Con, and of ComicArthouse.com. Visit dozens of your favorite artists for the best deals from original art from artists all over the place. Tonight's outro music is provided by the Traffic Lights. Pick up their CD Hold a Folk at robwattsonline.com No? Well, it was kind of interesting talking about the Broken Continent tonight with Francis Abney. I want to thank him for joining us. And I want to thank... interesting. Yeah, kind of interesting. It was at least pretty interesting. It was fairly (laughs) cool. (laughs) I want to thank the usual suspects. The Queens of Snark, Kriana and the Zombrarian. Looking Thank you, ladies. To the death of French. Not letting that go. From the Four Color Vault of Comics. Thank you, Dead Redhead, and sitting in tonight, also Illustrator X. I made it, and and I'm sure his his voice of making fun of me is around somewhere. It's you're, you'll definitely not hear the end of that one. This is Dom <laughs> saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy is increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everyone. Good night. I know.